Welcome to Emotion Well, EFR's podcast about all things related to emotional wellness. I'm Johanna Dunlevy, the wellness manager for Employee and Family Resources, also known as EFR, and I'm the host of our podcast. As an FYI, EFR is located in Des Moines, Iowa, and we are Iowa's first employee assistance program and provide a variety of services you can learn more about at www.efr.org. Hi, Jason. Welcome to Emotion Well. Hello there. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you as a guest. Uh, for our listeners, Jason Hagland has been partnered with EFR for several years, and y- you know you may recognize his name or his voice uh, or what he's talking about from past webinars we've done. Uh, since COVID start- happened in 2020, we've had Jason on talking about a lot of different um, topics, mental health first aid being one of them, and he goes out into the field and uh, represents EFR and delivers mental health first aid trainings for us and does a whole lot of other things that I'm going to let him explain because he knows best what he does. So Jason, introduce yourself to our listeners. Well, it's kind of funny you say I'm out in the field. So, you know, that takes on a couple of different meanings. Yes, literally and figuratively. Um, so, so yeah, literally and figuratively. So not only am I in, in, I in the field of behavioral health and I've done that my entire career of, um, you know, talking about substance use disorders and mental health and being an executive and and kind of having that be, um, you know, my professional career. Um, I'm also a fifth generation farmer. So I've actually been uh, farming the same land as um, my ancestor, um, J.B. Hagelin, when he first came to this country as a Swedish speaking Finn um, in the late 1880s um, and settled in Boone County, Iowa. So, you know, I kind of get to experience things in a lot of different directions as I go around. And so I've spent, yeah, a better part of the last two and a half years kind of talking about our emotional well-being as as a community, um, especially in rural Iowa. And we know the stress and what's happened over the course of the last two and a half years has been challenging for a lot of people. And so I've really had a a lot of opportunities um, to be out in the field and I've been in the field. I'm going to be headed to the field here again this fall. So it's it's kind of ironic when yeah. you bring that up. And I think about, wow, that's 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 kind of sit back and think about all the things we can talk about. Yeah. So when I was thinking about having you on the podcast, I I wanted to touch on two things. One, rural mental health, and also uh, just agriculture, the the industry of agriculture, farmers, farming, and What's going on, you know, with farmers as it relates to mental health? I years ago, I remember seeing these billboards as I would drive from Des Moines to Kansas City to visit my family. And I feel like they were in Missouri. I think it was like once you got into Missouri, you started seeing them and they were billboards about like ask him if he's okay or it's okay to reach out for help. And it was targeted towards um, you know, prevention of farmer suicide. And so this topic is just of interest to me. I'm from a rural community. I did not grow up on a farm, but a lot of my friends did. I'm originally from rural Iowa. Now I live in the metro, you know, I'm in the big city, Des Moines. Um, but I still have a lot of close friends and family members that live in rural Iowa. And, you know, rural America is affected um, by this mental health crisis in a different way. So I wanted you to be our expert to shed some light on those disparities uh, for people living in rural areas, and then also to agriculture and farming and, and what we can learn um, and, and know more about in that regard. So let's, let's start with rural mental health, because we know that not all people that live in rural America or rural Iowa are farmers, um, but a lot of those communities are farming communities. And so let's talk about disparities. You know, what, for people who especially aren't in 
in a rural part of the country? Like, what do you want people to know or understand about rural mental health disparities? Yeah, that's a great question. And there's so many questions you've just you've just posed um, within that one question. I know, so, I just need to stop talking and let you take it over. <laughs> no, no. You know, let's, let's step back and kind of break it down. You know, as we think about rural communities and, and we think about, I think about rural and frontier, um, you know, I, I have, I'm lucky enough, I get to travel to North Dakota quite frequently, and I'm also doing some work in Minnesota. And so there's some really rural areas as, as we kind of look around the Midwest, and it is different, right? I mean, I think a lot of us experienced a lot of isolation um, throughout the last two and a half years. And to some extent, farmers were insulated from that. You know, one of their protective factors is a lot of farmers are very isolated by nature. Mm -hmm. um, work that you do alone in your tractor, or going out and checking your cattle is often very lonely. Um, you know, what was what was missing during some of those, those points was that connection point. And so we saw a decrease in community, community events, um, rituals and, and things that we engage in. We think about when you come together, um, you know, specifically in rural Iowa, it's around food. Um, right. So there was a huge disruption over the last two and a half years. And to some extent, there still is that disruption. Um, my Kiwanis Club is still meeting partly by virtual um, partly in person. And, and so we still see those disruptions occurring today. So I think in rural communities, that sense of community was shaken over the course of the last two and a half years in a different way yeah. um, than anyone was expecting. I, I think it's hard to also not acknowledge that there it, it's harder to access services in rural areas. And so we see workforce shortages playing a big part um, in access to care and kind of this switch that we've seen to um, telemedicine or telehealth, as we call it, uh, as a way of accessing things. Um, you know, not not all rural areas have access to high-speed internet, um, mm -hmm. or not all rural areas want access um, to see their physicians or their counselors right. or their psychiatrists in those ways. And so those are barriers, but let's not forget the biggest barrier of all, and that's stigma. Um, yeah. the stigma around mental health and substance use disorders, it's still that subject we just don't wanna talk about um, in a lot of rural areas. And that, that becomes probably one of the largest barriers. And you know, I, I oftentimes when I talk, I, I refer to, to some studies and there's always regular studies being done. Um, I think about the Bank of Iowa um, survey that was done last December and every December, you know that um, Bank of Iowa does surveys. You know why banks are so interested in farmer mental health? Well, I should know the answer to this because this came up in one of your webinars and Good. and do I remember, Jason, is the question. I don't remember. It's because they loan us money and they want their yeah. money back at the end of the yeah. year. Um, so one of the best experts we can turn to um, is the business sector um, because they're monitoring all of our health and well-being because it, it's, it's in their financial best interest. And, you know, I, I think about that study frequently. Um, because 77% of participants in that particular survey said they or a loved one struggled with a mental illness at some point in their life. So it just tells us that it's something that impacts almost every family, yeah. almost every community, your neighbors. Um, it's something that you're going to struggle with um, at some point in your life. And in that survey, only 42% of people said they'd be reluctant to seek help, which is still a really high number, but it means mm -hmm. a lot of people are willing to reach out when they need help. So I see those as really helpful. Yeah, and you said that was a Bank of Iowa survey? Yeah, that was the Bank of um, Iowa survey, and that was from December of 2021. Um, Farm Bureau does some great morning consult surveys 
um, as well that, that reinforces that information. Um, and you, it's pretty accessible. You can, you can Google that stuff and, and find it. Um, but I think that helps us to better understand where commun world communities are at as they kind of struggle with figuring out how do, how do we seek help? And then how do we talk about it with our friends and neighbors um, and feel safe to do that? Yeah, you know, just thinking about growing up in a small town in Iowa, when you mentioned accessibility, it's like, you know, now there is a psychiatrist who's practicing in my hometown, but this was just as of the last year. I mean, the first time, you know, I'm 40 years old. So in my lifetime, this is the first time that there's been someone, you know, licensed to practice mental health, you know, in our community. And so it's okay. So now where do we look? So you have to go, I'm from Lansing, Iowa, which is on the Mississippi river. So La Crosse, Wisconsin, Decorah, Iowa, you know, we're talking at least 30 to 45 minutes to get to your appointment, to have your appointment. And then to get back, you know, you're looking at a big time commitment, which for mm -hmm. some people is not an option based on their work. If they have the means to get there transportation wise, if they can afford to get their gas prices are high. Um, and then even when someone is in your community practicing, it's a small town and everyone knows that that's the office where the counselor is. And I'm going to be going in there now once a week or once a month. And what are they going to say? Or that person, now that mental health therapist goes to my church or they're my son's mom, they're my son's, you know, best friend's mom. And it's just like, it, it's, it becomes enmeshed. Right. And I think that's, it, and that only feeds into this, the issue that with stigma, which is the, the big issue. And then you've got this, everyone that's, will know, and I'm going to have to go far out of town. Absolutely, absolutely true. And, you know, I, you think about, you know, do you, do, you, do you think twice about it? If you see your neighbor's truck parked at the chiropractic clinic, you generally no, don't. No, uh, But if you see his truck parked at the therapist's office, um, they're going to be like, well, maybe his land's going to come up next year. Um, you know, right. maybe I'll have an opportunity. Uh, maybe I should I should tell his landlord, um, and maybe I could get in and get better cash rent. So you know, there there are definitely things to think about there. I mean, and and small town Iowa is small town Iowa. Um, my brother in law lives twenty miles away from me, and I just sold my pickup to him because I bought a new truck. And I had a former colleague of mine who lives in his community texted me one day and said, hey, why is your truck parked at your brother-in-law's place for this long? Um, because it had been there all week. <laughs> well, it's 30 miles from where I live. Um, but I've got people looking and saying, hey, I think that's your pickup park there. Why is that? Um, so Iowa is a small town, um, all of Iowa, even in, yeah. in County, um, you know, it's a small town. And so how do we how do we better support our neighbors and start to come to terms with stigma and our emotional well-being? You know, yeah. and I think that's the biggest challenge is, is how do we have open conversations about our emotional well-being? Um, because we all know friends and family members who are struggling right now, um, who we want to have help, uh, who we want to help, you know, to get into care, maybe get into treatment, maybe, you know, medications. But yet at the same time, we struggle with 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 that feeling that that that, you know, rub some dirt on it or pull yourself up by your bootstraps, which isn't helpful when we have these dialogues and conversations. Yeah. I'm also thinking about in smaller communities, you know, a lot of the employers are small businesses and they might not have benefit packages that are robust enough to cover mental health or they might not have an employee assistance program in place. And so there's that barrier to the affordability factor. Uh, I mean, it's expensive if you have insurance. <laughs> so 
if you don't have insurance, you know, that gets in the way as well. So lots of things to consider as it relates to accessibility and availability, affordability, and then of course the stigma. Um, let's talk about agriculture. You're a fifth generation farmer. I was wrong. I was telling a friend just before we recorded, he's a third generation farmer. So I clearly, I know (laughs) fifth generation farmer. So your farmland dates back to the late 1800s with your ancestors coming to Iowa from Finland. Is that what you said? Yeah, Swedish speaking Finns. I don't talk about why we were kicked out of Sweden. Okay. Um, that's another podcast if you'd want to go into that. That can um, be fun. <laughs> so tell us about, I'm just curious, did you grow up knowing that you wanted to continue that, you know, multi-generational, you know, tradition of keeping the farm in the family? How did you come to make that decision that you're going to have kind of, you know, two careers? You're going to go into um, the mental health space and also this farming hobby could also be a career. Yeah, I grew up with a mother who told me there's no money in farming, so go get a real job. Um, okay. So I had never had an expectation of farming um, growing up. I always enjoyed being outside. I enjoyed doing the work. I enjoyed farming alongside my dad, um, but never thought of it as being a hobby or a career. Um, you know, I went to, got my undergrad at University of Northern Iowa in psychology and then ended up going to grad school in Pennsylvania. So I, I lived in Pennsylvania for five years. And um, at the time, um, my wife and I decided, well, let's go back to Iowa. Her family's from here. My family's from here. We wanted to have a family and, and we, we, it kind of draws you back, right? Yeah. So we, we ended up back here in Iowa and I found myself, um, you know, helping my dad farm. And like most farm families, you know, at one point we had to have that discussion about succession what do you do next? And so that's one of the things that's different about farm businesses, right? Is a lot of times farmers don't wanna talk about what's gonna happen next. Um, What do we do with that farmland? What do we do with that equipment? And what do we do, um, you know, what what do we do next? And so unfortunately my dad was diagnosed with late stages of cancer and he spent his whole career as a trust officer at Norwest Banks, subsequently Wells Fargo Bank in downtown Mm -hmm. Des Moines. Okay. He had a lot of thoughts on, on how you have conversations about succession, how you set that up to move forward. And, and we had several meetings uh, with lawyers um, and around the kitchen table saying, this is what we want to do next. And so my brother-in-law and I are farming um, as a hobby because that's what we chose to do. Our, our goal as a family was to keep that land in our family. Um, and we rent it for my mom. So you can imagine our Thanksgiving sometimes. We have the landlord there um, <laughs> and the entire board of directors of our farm. Um, But that's really what farms have become today. It has to be run like a business. And so that's been a challenge sometimes when you're running a business with your family members. And so that's a unique challenge that farmers and ranchers um, have all across the Midwest um, because the way that we've evolved and the industries involved, um, you have to be much more businesslike and savvy as you think about how to successfully run a million dollar business, even the smallest farms today. Um, you know, our million dollar businesses, as you think about, um, you know, I was at the Farm Progress show this year over by Boone just a few weeks ago. Um, and, you know, we're lucky right here in Iowa, we have one of the largest, you know, farm shows in the world. Um, you know, a new combine's one and a half million dollars. Um, you know, a small farmer like me can't afford that. Um, but, you know, the costs are increasing, inflation's increasing. Um, and so there's a lot of things that a farmer has to take in and account for and the family has to manage. And so those are additional stressors that are unique um, to, to, to farming and to ranchers and folks who raise livestock. 
um, that that it's hard to understand when you're not in part of that lifestyle. It's hard to understand some of those things. And so, you know, as we think about how many people are connected to egg-related industries, um, especially in the state of Iowa, um, the health of those local farmers really resonate across um, the entire community. When you mentioned, you know, not everyone has an understanding of what it's like to be a farmer. When I was doing some of my homework before this podcast, I was on a Farm Bureau website and they were talking about, you know, what holds farmers back from seeking mental health treatment. And one of the things was that um, a concern that mental health professionals would not understand their needs or the types of problems they face due to the nature of their work as farmers. So that lack of cultural competency. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that a suggestion, which I thought was really interesting, and I'll put these on notes, I'll link to these in our show notes to this website, but it said, you know, providing services to farmers in their homes or in a neutral setting to make the experience feel less clinical mm -hmm. uh, and help maybe improve accessibility and then frame mental health support and services as behavioral health because farmers are experts in animal behavior and will be more receptive to messaging that takes that behavioral health approach versus mental health, because they are already managing the behavior of animals, right? So if they can just think of it differently, I think, you know, those are the small steps, right? Those are the little things that can be really helpful to, to move us forward. Um, let's talk a little bit about like just the uncertainties that come with farming um, as it relates to the economy, um, you know, natural disasters, the weather, you know, is it going to be a dry summer? Is it going to be a rainy, you know, summer? Like what all, how does that just kind of stack and create that stress that builds and builds and builds? Well, I call that just one of many compounding stressors. So when we look at everything else surrounding us today, um, you know, the farming life is very uncertain. And so, you know, just, I just do corn and soybean row crop farming. Um, but you know, I can't, I can't, yeah, I can't control rainfall. Um, you know, I could install irrigation. Um, you know, that's the next step, right? Um, you know, I, but then I can't control sunlight. Um, you know, and photosynthesis is the number one, <laughs> is the number one thing I need. And that's out of my control. Um, but yeah, I can't control any of those things. I can't control prices. And, and I think part of the additional stressors right now is I can't control supply chain issues. So yeah. th there are still huge delays in parts. You know, if I, I could break something this year on my combine and I might not be able to get the part for a week, uh, which is unprecedented, um, you know, as we think about just generally feeling like you could just go to um, the, the John Deere store and get what you need. Um, th those things are very different now. So farmers live under uncertainty. And so that that kind of helps because they've they've learned to be very resilient over the years because many farmers don't know anything different. Then there's going to be uncertainty and I'm just going to have to manage with what I have. Um, and that's a really healthy thing sometimes. But, you know, we have to remember we still have to take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's where sometimes um, farm families can stretch too far. Um, you know, and that can be to the detriment. And unfortunately, many farm families, especially if you have livestock, you just can't take a day off right. um, because you always have to be there and you always have to be on, um, especially in the spring and the fall. If you're a row crop farmer, you know, it's, you just don't get to take a day off. If, if the crops are ready to come out and you have a window that you need to get those crops out, then you have to be there and you have to be doing that. And so those are the stressors um, that, that really wear on people. Um, you know, and, and we really need then to talk about how can we support each other if we can see that someone's struggling. Yeah. So kind of along those lines, I was reading up on 
farmer suicide rates. And an article that I saw said that farmer suicide rates are anywhere from two to six times higher than the general population. Is that in line with what you've read or what you know to be true? Yeah, you know, and I think actually, you know, some of the suicide rates may have gone down a little bit in the last couple of years. And, you know, I think linked to that, you know, what I think maybe we're seeing also then is the substance use, mm -hmm. um, you know, alcohol abuse, binge drinking, um, you know, because in rural areas, we see increases use of alcohol. And so, you know, that is related to, and if someone's using, then that puts people at greater risk for suicide as well. And so I think as we see those risk factors growing, um, it is concerning. And we, we also know the reality is that one of the biggest risk factors of death by suicide is access to firearms. Um, right. and, every, and every rural person generally um, has, has access to firearms because that's part of um, the nature of the business that we have. Um, you know, and so, you know, I think that's just some of the realities and, and, and is that much more important that if we see warning signs that we're able to appropriately address them and access appropriate supports um, to help people through those suicidal episodes. Yeah, kind of considering what we've been through as a, as a society in the last two years, two and a half years, and then comparing it to the the farm crisis from 1985, what year was it? Well, for me, I remember the farm crisis in 1983. And so it was really 80s. It was really the early 80s. Yeah, go okay. ahead. So that period of history compared to the pandemic, similarities, differences, you know, are things, is it comparable? Well, I mean, I think the, so I'm not an economist. Um, I'll channel my inner Iowa State economist um, that, you know, I think, you know, the biggest issues of the 80s was the inflation pressures. And so you had high inflation, um, too much debt, which then lended itself to a lot of farmers getting upside down and not being able to afford what they were doing. So although we're having inflation right now, which, um, you know, just because of what's happening in the world around us, um, it, it's making money more expensive to borrow. And so farmers have to borrow money for the input costs. Um, we have rising costs and, you know, anhydrous and chemicals and seed. Um, and, and, and so then you also have land values going up. So if you rent, landlords are demanding more money. Um, if you're going out to purchase land, it's really hard, you know, it's really hard to pencil that out um, that, that you, can, you can afford, um, you know, to, to, to use that um, land and make a living on it. And so I think all of those pressures are very real today, I think in a different way than the 1980s, but I think it, it, it still perpetuates that stress. Yeah, um, that this is a very low margin, um, you know, way of life. And so, you know, you've got to either have a lot of volume to make it with farming. And so, you know, you see a lot more farms in the, you know, the 10,000 acre range, um, you know, corporate farms, um, the, the small family farm really doesn't exist. You have a lot of smaller farmers, but 80% of farmers have off farm income. Um, so when you think about what does farming look like in 2022, um, most farmers have off off farm income. And so, you know, when, when you think about small towns and communities, generally both, if, if you have a spouse that lives on the farm with you, um, everybody's working off farm um, for income and for health insurance and for those other things. And so a lot of times farmers have two or three jobs, um, which, which then also contributes to stress. Yeah. Talk to us about mental health first aid. 
you know, because I know that's something that you are very involved in and you've done some trainings for EFR, but for our listeners who might not know what mental health first aid is, what, what is it? Why is it important? Yeah, mental health first aid is a fantastic um, training. It's a full day long, seven and a half hour training um, where we where we get comfortable with talking about the, those things that are hard to talk about. And so we talk about what are the major um, you know, mental health conditions, um, substance use disorder conditions. And then we talk about how do you talk to someone who may be experiencing suicidal thoughts, someone who may be having thoughts um, they, they want to kill themselves. And so we talk about how do you talk to someone about that? How do you help them at that time? How do you get them connected with resources? Um, and how do you make sure um, that you do everything you can um, to keep that person safe? And so I think, you know, it's so important as we think about um, prevention and what we can do to support people. Um, this is a great tool to be able to do that. Uh, so oftentimes I talk with individuals and they're just like, I don't know what to say, um, or I wouldn't have any idea what to say to someone um, who was having those thoughts. And it's, it's called mental health first aid because it's just like first aid, right? It's kind of like, you know, do you know what to do if you come up to someone and, and, and they trip on the curb um, and you see that their ankle is bruised and swollen? Um, you know, we, we learn about how to do that, right? Generally, we've taken a first aid class or we've mm -hmm. taken, many jobs require that, but we're much more likely to come into contact with someone who's experiencing an emotional crisis. And yeah. so oftentimes we feel ill-equipped um, to have a conversation or to support someone who's experiencing that emotional crisis. And so mental health first aid really helps us, um, helps, helps the participant to, to feel more assured about what they're doing. And so, you know, it, it's a great um, day-long course. Sometimes we split it into two four-hour sessions. Um, I, I just trained 30 people um, a few weeks ago um, who are apartment managers all over the state of Iowa. Um, and it, it was just a great opportunity to have a discussion. Um, and so I, I've done it with law enforcement. I, I've done it um, in churches, um, communities. Um, you name it. And so it's a, a businesses, of course, um, oftentimes ask for that training, but it's a great opportunity to get comfortable in talking about emotional well-being, because sometimes it's a subject that if, if you're given the option to talk about it, you might say, I don't want to talk about that right now. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for all the information you shared about, you know, rural mental health and farmers farming. And I will link in the show notes can I link to the Bank of Iowa survey? Do you have, can you share that with me and I can, or if I Google it, can I find it? Hopefully you can Google it and find it. Um, you know, I'll give you one more resource. You might, you know, Iowa State Extension Outreach has some great resources. Um, so farm stress and mental health is a great um, fact sheet for agricultural advocates. And so is the stress on the farm series. And so those are both at ISU. Um, extension outreach, you could link those just going to um, the resource library at ISU Extension Excellent. and Outreach. Um, but those are put together by Dr. David Brown. Um, I work closely with his egg um, behavioral health outreach team, um, and they do some really good work in this space as well. And so, you know, you talked about the farm crisis and, you know, that's still um, a resource that we have um, is that original um, Iowa Concern Hotline, 800-447-1985. Um, is still a, um, a warm line that you can call 
um, and, and talk to, to counselors um, who have specific egg background knowledge. Good. And so, Very you know, good. it's just well, I'll link to all of that information in our yeah. show notes. And then, of course, if anyone's listening and has access to EFR's EAP benefit, you can always call 800 327 4692 to get connected with your EAP benefits. Uh, but yes, thank you again for your time, Jason. It was great to speak with you about this important topic. And I hope everything goes well. I'm guessing that you're going to be in the field in the next week or so with the harvest I coming think, up is that i think we have some beans that are ready to go anytime and our, our corn's still a bit wet but there's still some maintenance issues that need to be done so i should probably be out working on equipment today as we speak so yes. that's on the list well i will let you go so you can get that done but thank you so much for your time and make it a great day thanks for listening to emotion well Please subscribe to us and don't forget to rate us. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Emotion Well is hosted by Johanna Dunleavy and produced by Emily Wonkoff.